Hello, Loiseless Podcasts. Before you start listening to this week's episode, I would like you to head to lloydslist.com and register for this year's Outlook webinar on December the 8th at 9am UK time. This is the big one. It's our annual look at the forces shaping shipping, and I'll be joined by Kerry Troth, head of shipping for Shell, Michael Parker, president of transportation at City and the chair of the Poseidon Principles, of course, and Rasmus Back-Nielsen, global head of fuel decarbonisation at Trafigura. And there's plenty more guests to be announced next week. I promise it's the one hour of 2022 that's going to set you up for the whole of 2023. So register for free today and make sure you don't miss out. Thank you. And on with this week's edition of the podcast. The Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. It's important to remember what the 1.5 degree goal currently being discussed at the COP27 climate summit in Egypt is all about. It's a tipping point beyond which the science points to collapsing ecosystems and expensive adaptation. Think about it this way. We have a global carbon budget which allows for around 400 gigatons of CO2 to be emitted between now and the rest of the century. And we're currently at a burn rate north of 40 gigatons per year. That gives us about a decade. As of today, we are doing uh, way too little. We have to uh, approach this from a much more holistic uh, perspective because individual companies, individual shipping companies, they cannot be expected to invest in training, invest in vessels, invest in technologies which are not necessarily ready today or where so uh, where the regulatory framework uh, is unclear or where the, indeed the ambitions for the entire industry is still not clear. So this is why this project um, says that, okay, we have to establish a common uh, ambition for uh, um, for the decarbonization. Uh, it should be aligned with the uh, Paris Agreement. Uh, the not only the end state or what should be uh, the state in 2050, but also the trajectory from here to 2050, which is uh, important. That was the voice of Sterla Henriksen, the special advisor on ocean to the United Nations Global Compact. He's one of the many shipping experts out in Egypt currently trying to position the maritime sector as part of the solution to climate change, rather than it perennially being cast as the hard-to-abate problem to be solved. So, are we keeping 1.5 alive out at this year's COP, or are we pulling the plug on the rather shonky-looking life support that's been constructed and investing in Factor 300 sun cream instead? Well, let's start with some positives, shall we? Shipping has at least been relatively high profile in the focus so far at COP this year, and it is going to get more attention next week. We've seen well over 50 major announcements promising emissions reduction this week, everything from new green corridors and financing to Maersk locking in another 2 million tonnes of green fuels with the Spanish government. You can hardly move in Sharm el-Sheikh without John Kerry, the ubiquitous US Special Envoy on Climate, appearing behind you and reminding you of the importance of oceans and making an announcement on shipping decarbonisation. At last year's COP, the big headline announcement saw 24 governments promise the establishment of six green corridors by 2025 under the so-called Clyde Bank Declaration. Now, we're going to get the one-year-on review next week, but if you don't mind a little spoiler, 
I can tell you that there are now already over a dozen green corridors being developed as public-private partnerships. So the buzz is there, but does that represent progress? Hmm. Well, those green corridors, they do hold real promise, but right now they're not green corridors. They're not even close. They exist as concepts under development. And rather than hearing about tangible progress that has been made, what we're hearing about this week is lots of new promises about things that will probably happen in the future. This is Charles Haskell, the decarbonisation programme manager at Lloyd's Register. We've seen a number of announcements and what we need to see is what has been done prior to that announcement. What does that actual announcement mean? And then what are they going to do next? Um, And I I think that's the position where we'd like to see ourselves as the implementation COP, what was done last year, what's what's happened, what are you doing, what's your update and what are you going to do? Let's be clear, there is credibility in many of the plans we're hearing about. But in some cases, announcements are being made without feasibility studies or implementation plans. And they are, frankly, borderline greenwashing right now. We need to stop thinking that making promises is progress. At this stage, we should be talking about action. We need to start doing some things here. But, look, there are positives. Not everything is about emissions reduction and mitigation at COP. As Sterler has already pointed out, this year's COP is finally positioning shipping in a much wider context. Solely focusing on decarbonising the shipping industry is not just insufficient, it just wasn't working. The keynote discussions now are about matching government energy ambitions with the wider maritime ecosystem and taking a much more holistic view of the collaboration that's required to develop the technology, the policies and the incentives that we all know are needed to make progress. And that progress is not just about the investment and financing. It's about climate resilience, social inclusion and sustainable economic growth. It's also about positioning shipping as a facilitator of projects, able to help build resilience into supply chains and communities. And a really good example of that wider focus is the just transition work we've been hearing about this week that has pointed out as many as 800,000 seafarers are going to require additional training by the mid-2030s in order to achieve shipping's decarbonisation goals. Lloyd's Register's Charles Haskell again. Is um, the just the Maritime Just Transition Task Force um, with the UNGC um, COP26? We saw them come together. We saw them form the coalition. Um, they've been working over the past year. They've then released the paper um, yesterday and released what they're going to be doing and a roadmap and a ten-point action plan. Um, and, and that finished with that. And next week we're going to the Philippines to go and. Um, discuss these part with the training facilities and for me that was just a lovely example of of yeah what they're doing what they've done and what they're going to do next so they're committed to something they're moving along the danger with a lot of announcements and then silence of the announcements is there could be a perception that a lot is happening and nothing might be happening i'm not saying nothing is happening but yeah there could be silence there um, and there's no shame to having the ambition um, and, and starting a project and then saying, actually, this isn't working and stopping it. But we need to keep people informed. Um, and I suppose you could say a good, a good sort of transparency metric at the moment, or a good transparency um, example, is with MAN and the Ammonia Engine Development. And they recently came out and said there is a delay because we're, we're doing these further tests in Copenhagen. 
Um, and, and that was just a good example of MAN being transparent and forming the industry and everybody knows where it sits because if there's a delay with no information, that sparks concern elsewhere. Um, and that's that's the approach we've taken um, within Lloyd's Register as well in, in, in the two projects which we entered for the uh, Green Shipping Challenge and which were accepted. The first one was the uh, update of the Silk Alliance, which we announced at the beginning of this year, and it was really to give an update on, on where the Silk Alliance is at the moment and ask for um, further collaboration across the industry within the Silk Alliance. Um, and the next one was a, a new initiative which we're doing, which is the uh, Zero Ready Framework, which is basically trying to reset the dial on ready um, and, and ship owners or, and, and the industry when they talk about ready is how ready are you? The first part is the readiness of the vessel, um, but readiness doesn't stop there. We need other forms of readiness. So yeah, operational readiness um, and also financial readiness. And those are parts which we'll tackle moving forwards as well as readiness of the vessels. There's still a lot of work to do there in terms of working with the shipyards, uh, working with repair yards and ensuring that um, yeah, vessels can be retrofitted in a, in a straightforward way in the future. In, in many ways, there is a danger in the industry of seeing a lot of vessels being termed as ready. And when we come to the conversion, they'll be either too expensive or take too long to convert. So a perception that 30-40% of vessels are ready to convert, but the reality could be much less and we want to avoid that situation in 10-20 years time. I think what's becoming abundantly clear this COP is that we exist within a systems-wide change. Now, things like the Just Transition research around seafarer training, that's quite a tangible example that the industry can grab hold of. But I wonder whether the message about this not just being a shipping problem rather it's a systems-wide shift, whether that's actually getting through to the industry, which is still, I think, largely focused on fuels. I asked Sterl Hendrickson whether he thought the message was finally starting to get through. Well, uh, I certainly hope so. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, uh, convinced, uh, fully convinced that it does, but I, I, I really hope so, because I think very much of the discussion so far has been about uh, the, the, uh, the green transition, has been about uh, technology and finance. Uh, it's been about uh, green tech and fintech, but not about uh, the, the fact that uh, this massive transition, the scope, scale and urgency of this transition will uh, impact all corners of society and all parts of the world. And this is, uh, I think, uh, uh, um, important to understand that this is as much a people transition as it is a technological uh, and economic transition. And for, uh, for three uh, reasons, at, uh, at least, we have to make sure that uh, we have a workforce which is uh, prepared, trained and adapted uh, to the new technologies and the new requirements uh, needed. We have to make sure that people at large uh, accept uh, that they uh, embrace and support change. And I think also we have to make sure that we reap the huge potential benefits of this transition, mm -hmm. uh, which means that, uh, and there are sort of two aspects of that. One is, of course, making sure that no one is left behind. And the other is sort of to make sure that we uh, can use this transition to improve living conditions, promote gender parity, and create opportunities for 
for uh, the younger and, and future generations. I know I'm sounding increasingly cynical when it comes to COP, but I think one of the positive aspects that we can take away from COP is that we are at least now having a wider conversation. Retraining 800,000 crew in response to the decarbonisation changes, it raises big questions about safety, about contracts, about the future working conditions of this industry. Now, arguably, we should have been having those conversations a long time ago, but we are at least now getting the right conversations on track. Stephen Cotton, the General Secretary of the International Transport Workers Federation, was also adding COP this week, launching the Just Transition reports. And for him, it's not just about the immediate detail. These are the questions that will fundamentally define the future of shipping. So that conversation about where do you make sure you have highly intelligent professional seafarers coming off a supply chain of humanity, and then how do we make sure, and, you know, I'm constantly telling our unions and seafarers, yes, there may be certain kind of automated ships and certain kind of trades and certain kind of spaces, but it's not going to be our industry as we know it at the moment, and certainly not between now and 2050. So those conversations are really quite substantive, but it doesn't encourage more people to join the industry. It certainly doesn't encourage, and we have this across nearly all of our modes except civil aviation, women to join the industry, which is also kind of crazy that we're very dependent on men. 1.3% of the industry, including cruise ships, is women. We need to think think bigger and bolder. You, you, you mentioned the money to green the shipping industry and the fact that our... Uh, you know, the level of pollution is the size of a big industrialised country from shipping. Yes, we carry 90% of the world's trade and, you know, you, there swings and roundabouts in that argument. But the bottom line is you, you have to invest in this whole process. And maybe we need to look at the way we employ people. We need to look at the way we, we you know, you've been in the same rooms as me about what happens to a seafarer after they've done their 10 years at sea. Like all of this needs to be part of the answer, I think to make sure we have maritime professionals and a job that's attractive enough, wherever you fit, you know, it's the most uh, global industry, even more so than civil aviation because of the multinational nature of crewing. Um, we need to think, it, um, for us, I think we need to think in a big way if you want to build these capacities up. The other point about COP that I think is worth making is that in between this slightly wishy-washy flurry of announcements and promises, there are details being worked out here. Progress is being made. And we talk about shipping as if it's a single industry. It's really not. It's a series of quite distinct and fragmented sectors. And the reality is that the sectors will not be moving in a linear fashion. What becomes clear during discussions like these at COP is that we are creating a tiered industry. The Mersks and the Cargills of the world who gather for events like this and the Global Maritime Forum and attend various international talks they are in advanced states of discussions with national governments around offtake agreements. They're talking about their own supply chains. That's not the reality for the majority of shipping, who, as we all know, are effectively awaiting decisions to be forced upon them to some extent. So I asked Sterla Henriksen whether he thinks there's a danger that when we look at these industry leaders, the front runners in these discussions, we think shipping's okay, it's making advances. Because it's not. In a, in a real sense, ship owners in the squeezed middle are awaiting decisions at COP to determine their future. And I wonder whether the fragmented middle of shipping is moving rapidly enough and what happens to them. 
Yeah, uh, obviously, but I, I think that uh, we have to distinguish between uh, sort of two aspects of this. One is that uh, shipping is a um, uh, heterogeneous set of activities with very different technological and, and um, commercial features. Uh, if you are operating uh, a, a, an offshore supply vessel, or if you're operating a ferry, if you're operating a coastal uh, liner, uh, the sort of technical and commercial uh, preconditions for a green transition are very different from operating uh, the uh, deep sea uh, merchant fleet. And here I think, yes, uh, there are companies uh, who are pioneering this uh, development, but at the same time, I think that there are a lot of companies who would like to invest, who understands that they have to move, but they are waiting as long as they can because uh, there is uh, uncertainty about technology. There is uncertainty about infrastructure and availability of uh, low and zero carbon fuels. There is uncertainty about uh, the regulatory framework that will, uh, will guide these, uh, these developments. And therefore, I think it is, uh, and this is not something that individual companies can deal with themselves. We need the regulatory bodies to move much uh, faster. And of course, the key here, uh, the most important uh, here will be the IMO. And the IMO will not be able to act faster or more decisive or more ambitiously than the member countries allows it to be. And so that is, uh, that is first of all, a challenge, a clear challenge to the IMO member countries to make sure that they are consistent with their commitments under the Paris Agreement, also when they are, uh, when they are meeting in the, in the IMO and voting mm -hmm. in the IMO. Uh, secondly, we have to have a cross-national, cross-boundary cooperation to make sure that there is an um, uh, infrastructure in place so that when uh, shipping companies are investing in uh, uh, zero carbon um, uh, vessels and fuel, that they have bunkers uh, available in ports. And for that purpose, we are now uh, developing and discussing what is called green corridors, uh, where you have sort of fixed uh, uh, ports, which can then guarantee that they can supply ammonia or uh, hydrogen or, or methanol for that matter. Uh, and we need to make sure that the educational uh, infrastructure is in place, that the maritime um, schools and training centers, that they are now gearing up, that they have curriculums, that they have uh, relevant equipment uh, um, for the training of, of seafarers. And we have talking uh, in order to, um, to, for the shipping industry to be able to um, um, commit to the uh, Paris Agreement uh, trajectory. We are talking, as this uh, DNV report and our project shows, we're talking hundreds of thousands of seafarers needed to be uh, retrained and upskilled uh, over the uh, next few decades. So it's a massive challenge, but there is no way around it. Huh? Look, clearly the lack of transparency or substance being attached to announcements has become a pretty consistent theme at COP meetings, and you don't need me to tell you that. But as Sterler says, there is no way around this. These are challenges that we have to overcome. 
I'll be looking into the scrutiny issue in a lot more depth uh, in the next week or so, and I would draw your attention to the forthcoming soft launch of the Science-Based Targets Initiative for Shipping. That one is going to have some real impact, and there is a lot more to come on that, trust me. I would also suggest that you look at the UN expert group's report that aims to crack down on greenwashing and weak net zero pledges. There's some genuinely good work there, and I hope that people are paying attention to that. Clearly, there's a lot more to come, so stay tuned. Uh, and if you're out and about at COP, please do get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Richard.mead, that's M-E-A-D-E, at informer.com. For now, though, I'm going to close the podcast here. Uh, thanks, Stella, Stephen, and Charles. Uh, and thank you for listening. Um, have a good week, and we will be back with you next Friday with more. Mm-hmm.